0: Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two-for-two two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday night edition of the Downtown Basketball Podcast. We've got some really interesting games to talk about now. The playoff race starting to come into focus. Two huge ones at the bottom of the East and West playoff brackets, respectively, Denver and Portland. We're going to start with that. Then uh, also get to the sensational ending of Miami and Detroit. Uh, but in, And in between, Golden State and Houston, a, a battle at the top of the West. Our sponsors today, Texture. Go to texture.com slash catspace to get a 14-day free trial with access to hundreds of magazines like sports illustrated men's fitness espn the magazine all in one place on your tablet or phone and hubble contacts you can get a fresh pair of lenses every single day for 30 dollars a month at hubble contacts h-u-b-b-l-e contacts.com and you can get started also with them with 15 pairs of lenses for free at that address okay let's get right to it here this game was very enjoyable for at least yuk of yusuf nurkic as he uh, made clear in a post-game interview
1: one of my single favorite quotes of the year he i I don't know where in his interview it was but he said i wish those guys a happy summer
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you this was that was of course tweeted out by the blazers team account which had gotten in hot water earlier for making fun of a Chandler Parsons air ball, which then led to Parsons and CJ McCollum sniping back and forth about whether Portland dodged a bullet by not signing Parsons. Uh, This game though, I mean, my biggest takeaway was just an indictment of Denver's horrendous, horrendous defense.
1: Right. In the first half, neither team really played much defense. But then in that third quarter, the Blazers clamped down a little bit and the Nuggets absolutely could not other than Kenneth Free taking shady charges. And that was really the only defense they showed the whole game.
0: Yeah, it was just high pick and roll every single time. And obviously, I shouldn't say every single time, but every single time they went to the high pick and roll because they're still doing some of their flare screen stuff too, which was as effective, but not as good as just putting uh Jokic and Plumlee and Jameer Nelson and Jamal Murray in pick and rolls I mean those one five combos with the great pick and roll guards that Portland has Lillard and McCollum and now a, a very nice pick and roll center as well whom they acquired a better pick and roll center than the one they gave up incidentally uh Denver just had no chance
1: it was another reminder of the value of setting good screens. Nurkic is not always the best at it, but he's generally a, a solid screen setter. And, and that works so well with Lillard and McCollum because those guys can take advantage of the seam created by a big dude taking away the guys covering him's ability to get through it.
0: CJ in particular because Jokic just really and Denver tried a bunch of different stuff right but when Jokic would hang back once Nurkic obliterated either Nelson or Murray on the screen and they tried going with some other guys on him but usually it was them uh, then CJ could just operate in the mid range Jokic Plumley did not want to get out on him and he if you give him an open 15 footer he's just going to make it Like 60% of the time, he's one of the best at those in the league. Maybe he and and Kyrie Irving are are the two that you would look at as being, you really want them taking that shot if you're the offense uh, in the mid-range Uh, as it it was pretty clear and then they tried switching and you know that's not going to work for Jokic and then even when Jokic would force a miss they would get the offensive rebounds through the competitive portion of the game the Blazers had 37 percent offensive rebounds in this game as even when they went with two bigs with Kenneth Fareed he was ineffective on the defensive glass as the lone big underneath they tried trapping a little bit and then the Blazers were able to ping it around get it to Nurkic underneath and and Nurkic's line in this one uh, some of it posting up, but most of it just at the expense of the Denver pick and roll defense and on the offensive glass was uh quite mind-boggling especially I'm sure for the team that traded him away
1: 33 points 12 of 15 from the field six offensive rebounds 10 defensive rebounds two assists again another thing he didn't do there in Denver mm-hmm. and three blocks
0: yeah as we noted on a 15 and 60 a while ago I'm not sure whether it's still this the case but uh Nurkic actually had a higher assist percentage in Portland than Plumlee did it and the whole idea, I mean, not the whole idea, but a big part of the idea of trading Nurkic for Plumlee was that Denver not only was supposed to get better and solve their backup big problems, which were a problem, by the way. Nurkic was terrible for them. We, we can't forget about that part of it. But they were going to take Plumlee, supposedly kill Portland's chances because they wouldn't have any good bigs anymore, and help their own, and really... Plumlee has not been effective in bench units. You know, he's usually is in the minus unless he plays together with Jokic and he and freed together are are a terrible fit because neither of them can shoot it outside of the immediate basket area and Plumlee can't even really do that. And then Nurkic uh, has really transformed the Blazers over the Blazers last 16 games. Now they have a 6.9 net rating, which is top five in the league. And and that's even better than Denver's 3.7 net rating. Oh, and they also had to give up a first-rounder, too. So I forget that. Memphis' first-rounder. And, and they have to... And well, they Memphis' first-rounder,
1: uh, which is looking a little bit better now after a couple of losses, yeah. so...
0: No, no, that's true. And, and uh, they also have to sign Plumlee now to some sort of a new contract and restricted free agency. It'd be interesting to see now what he gets because, I, I mean, I always maintain, I said this in the playoffs last year, I felt like Plumlee is one of the most overrated players in the league because, yeah, he does, like, the DHO stuff. He'll throw some backdoors every once in a while. Uh, but just... I still thought of him as an offensive liability because he just cannot finish at the rim on anything other than a wide open dunk or an alley-oop. So you wouldn't really have to guard him that much. And if he had the ball, you could just kind of wait for him under the hoop. He would take some terrible jumper. He takes a lot of shots because no one guards him. And then he just never makes them uh, if he's contested around the rim or if it's a jump shot. Uh, And then defensively, I I thought that while he maybe improved a little bit, he's a liability. Uh, Portland's defense has certainly gotten better uh, since he left and you know he hasn't helped uh, Denver's sieves at all and and Portland was terrible with him in there too so I I just I never really got it with Plumlee and Nurkic has clearly been better than than him since the trade he's cheaper and you Part of the reason that we objected to that trade for Denver was because not so much that like, all right, Nurkic was a great player, you shouldn't move him because he kind of checked out, but that he was an asset, that Memphis first was an asset, and that they should have gotten someone who would help them more if it really the plan was to win now than Plumlee did. Plumlee just wasn't that good, and I think that's been proven generally so far.
1: If you had to, we might have to spend some time workshopping this, but I was trying to figure out which Wiley Coyote Acme product is the most appropriate description of what happened in this trade. Because it feels like this is kind of like a.
0: Oh, uh, like, this is good. This is this is are these the type of analogies we're going to get from you when you've been up all all night uh, writing your your first manuscript of a book?
1: Yes, yeah. I've slept two <laughs> out, I've slept two hours in two days, so yeah, this is the sort of thing that we're going to get. But I think that you you get into this this question with also with plumley and I, I think this is even maybe a more important point. Like, yes, it is true that they need a backup center, but if you are going to not only trade Nurkic, which I understand the issue there, but if you're going to give up an asset back. It also made sense to get somebody who could play with Jokic, and pomley can't do that either and that's pretty man yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah i
0: mean although those although those lineups have been good so far i'm still very skeptical in the long term That I think this, there's a lot of fools gold in work.
1: there yeah and i mean yeah and, so, so i mean you're not going to stop all ties anybody together. with those lineups yeah, yeah like if you're if you're going to use an asset if you're just going to dump nurkic that's fine you can go in a, a more of a one-off rental direction no problem with that but if you're going to throw in a first-round pick even if they have so many first-round picks it's still something that has value in the league to to do that so it's it's a mistake i don't really want to hammer that too much more than we already have hammered it but how do you feel about this so i posited on locked on warriors about two weeks ago i I kind of floated this idea that there i was intrigued by the idea of facing the seven seed versus the eight because the idea was that whoever was going to get the eight was going to win it and whoever was going to get the seven was going to lose their way down there and it's not definitive, especially because Marcus Sol hasn't played in their last couple of games, and we still don't know exactly how the seven's going to go. But th- that part of it, part of the logic, is holding, which is that the team that got the eight is playing really well.
0: That's a, yeah, down the end. That's an interesting thought, uh, and we'll see i mean this portland team is like starting to look pretty frisky of late as i mentioned since the the trade how good they've looked i mean i still don't think they're a threat to the warriors even without kevin durant because hey guess what they're actually pretty good even without him Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit more about the macro picture now how big a game this was especially for the nugs after getting blown out at home by the Pels, they basically were neck and neck in terms of the playoff odds before those these last two games. Now, Portland has a 92% chance of the eight seed, Denver a 7% chance of the eight seed per 538. And the big reason for that is the schedule that both of these two teams have going forward.
1: Right. So Portland, they do have a tough game against the Rockets. But then after that, they just have they have some good teams, but then they also have a a heavy swath of teams that probably aren't going to be giving it their all. I think that's a charitable way of putting it. Whereas Denver just has a lot of talented teams that are really still going for it.
0: And not only that, but Portland 6 of 8 at home, Denver right. has 6 of 8 on the road going forward, which I think especially for both of these kind of young teams that are a lot better at home, that's uh, pretty critical as well. So, I, And Portland now is a one-game lead, and of course has now clinched the tiebreaker as well with this win
1: and remember remember when it looked like that game a rescheduled game on the day of the ncaa championship game with portland facing minnesota was going to be this big thing well now minnesota you know they're they're still trying they will won- minnesota actually won tonight they, they beat the pacers but i don't think that has the same aura it did three weeks ago
0: so a little bit more on, on this game itself here we mentioned the pick and rolls thought uh, alfaruk aminu had an outstanding game playing more as a power forward, using his size, he was excellent on the glass. I, I thought Aminu, 15 points, 4 of 7 from the field. Only took two three-pointers, but but also got to the foul line for nine attempts, four offensive rebounds of, of his own in addition to three from Vonley and uh the six from Nurkic that you mentioned So he was fantastic. I I liked him just, he has not been hitting his three-pointer this year, but he was able to just be more active and athletic than this Denver team, which, I mean, that's really at this point, the big weakness for Denver with Jokic at, at center, Gallo at power forward. I mean, that's probably your least athletic four or five in the league at this point and then you know Wilson Chandler at the three he's about average athleticism for a three at this point in his career Jameer Nelson obviously not there Gary Harris a little undersized at the two and you're bringing in guys like Murray off the bench Barton is okay but he doesn't have any force defensively Farid not a good defender and he's slowed down even in terms of his offensive impact his impact on the boards uh, since his heyday a couple of years ago so this Denver team just has to get more athletic I and mean, we've been saying that for a long time that they really need some guys who are going to play with force to play around Jokic because Jokic I mean Morris has been saying this lately on his show that he's just been kind of porking up lately it looks like more out of shape he kind of just has been waddling up and down court uh and the type of shape that he was in compared to Nurkic, Nurkic's effort level, compared to Jokic in this game, there was no comparison.
1: Yeah, it's and it's a big swing when you can have that with a bigger guy. Just when Nurkic was playing with so much energy, and, he, and that plus you know kind of force equals mass times acceleration you know it really does work
0: Noah Vonleh continues to be a relative non-factor offensively but he's actually starting in the front court with Nurkic and he's gone beyond the Keith Bogans played 29 minutes in this one he also has been playing some at backup center Myers Leonard only played six minutes uh, was negative three in the first half uh, and then they did not play any pure point guards off the bench it was Aminu, Crab and Turner uh, all with the playing with minutes in the mid-20s CJ actually played 40 minutes in this one dame lord 38 this is a big one and we haven't even mentioned McCollum's stat line yet he was completely ridiculous as well doing most of his damage of course in the mid-range as we mentioned
1: yeah i mean 39 points five of 24 from the field three of five from three only three assists but he only turned the ball over once and had five five all rebounds all
0: defensive a couple other small notes on this one before we move on Denver actually played some time in the second quarter and it looked okay with Gary Harris and Will Barton on the guard line. No traditional point guard. Maybe they just had to do that to try to get a little bit more defense to get over some of those screens. Uh, In the first half, we mentioned there wasn't any defense. 66 to 64 on 49 possessions, so both teams had over 135 offensive ratings, and the teams combined for one steal. (laughs) Both of these teams don't force any turnovers in addition to not uh, being great defensively, and and both teams also had over 29% offensive rebounds in the first half, so really no defense at all in the first half, but then in the third quarter, the Blazers turned it on, held Denver to 18 points on 25 possessions in that third quarter, and they really actually started pressuring up a little bit more denying some of those back doors making denver finish over length at the rim and, and just getting out a little bit more on some of those open threes for denver that made things a little bit more difficult um anything else one, you wanted to add on this one
1: yes it tied in with one of the notes that you just made which is a, a, a good calibrator for when a team is is going to give themselves a major advantage portland only had two more turnovers than they had steals so they created almost as many live ball turnovers than themselves as they as they gave up and that's a you know if a team does that they're they're probably going to win
0: yeah and, and you mentioned portland steals they actually had six in the second half much right. much better as they increased uh, their defensive efforts uh we'll get to golden state and houston momentarily but first this from our friends at texture i may be in the market for a new car soon uh, i was driving back from a, a trip to colorado over the weekend and my 12 year old car alternator decided to crap out in utah fortunately it was just the alternator belt uh that failed but kind of tired of my old car breaking down on me all the time so i'm starting to look for a new car and i used to read when i was a kid all the time uh, car and driver and i'm going to start getting back into that and uh you can look at it online but it's not the same as just having like you know the really feel of a, of the full magazine there and that's what texture gives you Not only Car and Driver, but tons of other magazines as well are available with Texture. Sports Illustrated, Men's Fitness, ESPN, The Magazine. I think The Atlantic is included in there as well. The New Yorker. You can check out basically any back issue that you want. There's bonus content. You can search through Texture. Uh, They have daily recommendations as well. Really, it's just a great way to get content and not just kind of get that web page so you. It really feels much more like a magazine. It's normally $9.99 a month for access to over 200 magazines. But if you sign up right now at texture.com slash you get a 14 day free trial. So go to texture.com slash cap And there's no reason to subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you can have all your favorites all the time. For way less than it would cost to subscribe to a couple of magazines. So it's 14 days to try texture for free at texture.com slash space. That's texture.com slash cap space so golden state and houston despite the fact that it's been a house of horrors for golden state injuries in houston they always just seem to kill the rockets there and and it was really more of the same uh, especially in that first quarter which is where uh, the game was won and lost
1: the rockets defense in that first quarter was atrocious it was just they were giving up open shots basically wherever they are we didn't talk about this as much in yesterday's about the Cavs defense but a point that I was I really fixated on during that game was the idea of how much resistance are you providing and in that game especially that first half before they woke up in the third quarter the Cavs weren't providing resistance that is the exact same problem that the Rockets had in the first quarter the Warriors were getting where they wanted they were getting the looks they wanted and yeah they had a, a pretty dominant first quarter lead but it could have been more because they missed a couple of shots they they normally make and I think that's a big story but then the other thing and i wanted to lead you with this because i did locked on warriors i talked about this and so i wanted you to talk about it first which is i'll open i'll leave it as an open-ended question what did you think of the officiating
0: well just for symmetry's purpose i think we should talk about that first quarter first a little bit more there but yeah i definitely wanted to get to that i think it was basically wide open threes, turnovers leading to fast breaks or back cuts for layups on every single possession. I mean, they, I don't think Houston contested a jump shot until like two thirds of the quarter was gone by. And, and they were screwing up in every way imaginable. Well, their pick and roll defense wasn't very good. They were failing to switch out on guys. They were losing their man going back door. They're really, they, to successfully defend the split cut action out of the post that golden state likes to run and they really just were not prepared and they were missing ryan anderson in this one i think that hurt them obviously more offensively than defensively because i think he gives draymond green problems in some of the warriors base lineups because green doesn't want to he likes to help and he doesn't want to guard someone out at, at 28 feet but you know, they didn't look that good offensively either, and the Warriors actually avoided fouling in that first quarter. Uh, but then things got a little bit worse there, and that'll lead into your point about the officiating. So I guess we can start by getting your thoughts on it. Uh, we I know that the most of the nation was watching on NBA TV. You saw the Houston feed. I don't know if they were talking about it. We had the Warriors feed. Uh, they, their announcers were certainly aggrieved.
1: Right. And I, of course, am not as far in that direction as they are, especially considering something that you and I have talked about before, that the idea that a, a tightly officiated, so a lot of fouls games, That's that would be a, t- a tight whistle, right? Is that the right? Am I using it correctly? A loose, like, loose is that they're letting it play and a tight is that they're calling a lot of fouls?
0: Yes, I think that's right
1: okay so a tight officiating game against is is very disadvantageous to the warriors because they don't per, especially without durant they don't produce much contact and they commit a fair amount of it defensively just because usually they yeah. can do that without fouling guys like iguodala and, and durant yeah, they love butch- to they, or, they love and, and to drama. reach in
0: they like to yeah. block a lot of shots yeah
1: and so this was a game especially in the second third and fourth quarters that was very tightly officiated so that benefited the rockets normally and the other part that was concerning about this and I I started noticing I rewatched the fourth quarter because I wanted to and there were a series of plays where the refs basically saw what happened and then went oh well the most logical inference there is that there was a foul when there was no foul the most obvious example that actually as, as much as the Warriors announcers were aggrieved about the calls against them was actually a play Patrick Beverly made Patrick Beverly stripped Curry clean the ball went between Curry's legs and since he was moving he was moving to try to create a shot he tripped on the ball and the refs are like well patrick beverly reached curry fell over it's a foul it wasn't a foul it wasn't a foul at all and there were at least four calls in just like that portion of the game that were the same type of thing draymond just annihilating patrick beverly on a screen completely clean they called it a
0: foul oh just- no, no, no i disagree with you on that really I, I, as i yeah because the reason that's a foul is because you're not allowed to put your elbows up uh, when you're setting a screen, generally you're not supposed okay, to, be able so, to do that. Okay, so because I was uh, focusing and, on the
1: movement, not on the positioning of yeah. the elbows. No, okay, I mean he de- a fair point. And, and
0: Beverly definitely flopped like he'd been shot. Yeah, I actually, I did like a Twitter NBA show a second screen just for the fourth quarter, which I'm going to start doing more actually, just as we're watching games. I might figure I might as well just like fire that up and let let you watch the game with me since I've got it set up in my apartment now. uh But yeah, that that I thought actually I thought it was a legitimate call because he had his his forearms and elbows kind of up near head level as he was setting that screen i mean you're really supposed to keep your arms kind of down more now a lot of people don't do that a lot of the time but especially when you're setting a screen out in open space like that you know if you're setting a screen off the ball you can get away with a little bit more uh, but if it's on ball like that and the guy goes down I, I actually thought that that was that was an okay call but in general i thought that they they a lot of the call the first half was fine you know i mean all those like yeah those are all like bs call seeking behavior by houston and it's ugly and it was annoying but those are fouls you know i mean guys were reaching in they hit hit james harden on the arm james harden was driving to the basket he got out he was getting forearmed, he goes up for the shot he accentuates the contact that's a foul you know it's supposed to be a foul you're supposed to keep your hands off guys when they're driving and then they even called i think you know three or four fouls on warriors cutter's Uh, when they were on offense, uh, away from the ball as well. So I I thought they did a nice job, but then in in the third, it did get a little bit ridiculous, especially on some of the plays that Houston, uh, when they drove to the rim in the fourth quarter where it looked like Golden State had good verticality on those plays. And, And then they also were way too loose again about giving shooting fouls on plays that just are clearly not shooting fouls right like the most egregious one again was in favor of the Warriors Andre Iguodala driving on the left baseline feeling contact and then just picking the ball up and throwing up some crap a crap floater and then actually getting rewarded with free throws for that that's just I mean the contact happened and then he decided to pick the ball up and shoot it like if you're deciding to shoot it after the contact has already occurred then I'm sorry that should not be a shooting foul of his jumper. It's so one thing if you know the contact occurs as you're driving the basket and then you go in for a layup i'm okay with that being an and one but if you're just gonna throw up some jumper from 18 feet because you felt some contact like that should not be a shooting fall
1: it's a more balanced way of of approaching it and kind of incentivizing the right kind of conduct which is the same issue that i have with with charges is you know that you you don't want to create a circumstance where something bad is encouraged because it just leads to worse basketball
0: And by the way, I think that Ricky Rubio won a game for the Timberwolves on that same type of crap, like going over the screen, feeling some contact, throwing up a three and getting a three shot foul with under five seconds left in that game so that uh, the Pacers lost. I mean, it's just Ricky Rubio is not like some great shooter. Like this is just, it's become an absolute epidemic. And part of it is just because you know the referees don't actually call hand checking anymore now like you know that was a big thing oh in 2004 they changed the rules so that hand checking would be illegal uh, and that opened up the floor and that was very needed at the time uh although i still think the impact of hand checking is overrated but those calls aren't made anymore when you're just dribbling on the perimeter now uh what the calls that are made is when there's some kind of a hand check now players are almost self-enforcing by feeling the hand check and then just throwing up some crap and getting a foul on it uh but i mean it, it really is and i'm not sure if there's a great way to fix it other than just making it not a shooting foul uh, but i mean we didn't see that play at all 5 years ago right like it's just it, it's and now like a third of the fouls that are called shooting fouls are this crap
1: it like the CBA. Sometimes it's about unforeseen consequences and players who kind of have grown up with the different rules. Harden is the is the epitome of a lot of this stuff. He is an expert at generating points in in those sorts of ways. And Lou Williams, I mean Lou Williams has been doing this for a long time, so it's not like it's... yeah. I mean
0: he he was the the original progenitor of, of it. Like Harden, he was about kind of bringing the ball up through guys' arms and creating contact that way. But Lou is the one who created the all right. There's contact against my body. 20 feet from the basket i'm just going to throw up a shot and get a foul
1: yeah it's it's very frustrating and i i think there has to be there has to be a better way for it now and i admit that there are far smarter people than i yeah at, at I, don't, I don't know what it is ones. though i mean
0: i i really i really would like to think about it but right we're getting caught up a little bit too much in the officiating here uh which we criticize the the announcers for uh <laughs> i thought that For Golden State, Steph Curry had a nice end of the game. He actually came through in the fourth quarter with a couple of really nasty shots, including one over Clint Capella on a switch from 30 feet that that basically ended the game. Uh, So that had to be encouraging for him. And, uh, you know, Clay Thompson, again, he always kills the Rockets of late. I mean, they just had no answers for him in that first-run series last year. And, And I think while... Houston does cause some problems for the Warriors and and Houston's three-point shooting in this one was horrendous and the Warriors three-point shooting wasn't that great either and you know despite even these improvements from Houston I think the Warriors three-point shooters are still in the aggregate better and, and better tough shot makers than Houston's are uh so and then obviously the Warriors defense which has been unbelievable since Kevin Durant went down you know they held Houston despite the 40 free throw attempts uh to under a 100 offensive rating in this one.
1: The two teams were a combined 16 of 72 from three. And, you know, th- they're far better than that. And Anderson being yeah. out certainly And, and, hurt and Golden
0: State started five of eight. So really after right. that, you know, they were 11 out of 41. So they went five out of, or, or six out of their last 33. So pretty much the same pace as the Rockets, who were five out of 31.
1: Right. Now I had talked before about the steal turnover thing. The Warriors had nine steals and 10, ter- or, or, or no, that was 16 turnovers. I can't read. Um, It's, it's late. But I wanted to tie yeah. in. You were talking about defense with the amazing stat that since the Durant injury the Warriors have moved all the way up to first in net rating partially because of this well almost mostly because of this big eight game win streak
0: yeah and they were pretty much less than below even until then but yeah I mean they really did, did right the ship in this one now a few caveats for Houston we mentioned that Anderson was out James Harden also clearly was not right. I I thought that not only was his three-pointer off, as it has been really in all the games against the Warriors this season, but his finishing at the rim with his left hand he really struggled with. He was loath even to challenge JaVale McGee, who didn't play at all in the first half, and then came in after Petrulia was getting worked in the pick and roll by Harden and Capella. Uh, as they're just throwing it right over Pachulia's head for Al Ubs. And Capella was great in this one. He had 21 points on 9 of 10 shooting. Uh, but uh, Harden was, did not want to challenge McGee, which he should have been okay challenging him because Javel doesn't actually block these shots. But he at least did a better job of making Harden think... Uh, defending you know it's just harder to throw it over his head for those alley-oops and then when Harden would get in and challenge especially late in the fourth quarter he missed a couple of lefty layups that usually he's going to put down uh and I don't know whether it was a concern about getting knocked down falling onto that left wrist Uh, D'Antoni said afterwards that he's gonna have to look at it pretty seriously and I think the Rockets should think about resting him because they're pretty as locked in as you can get to that third seed at this point
1: there's Basically nothing to be gained for them, I mean, other than bolstering, theoretically, Harden's MVP case, and he had that whole thing about... Yeah,
0: you know what, though? Like, I mean... I bet you that is uh not an insignificant consideration to be honest especially i mean and i would be very surprised if james harden didn't have say a bonus clause in his contract with adidas if he wins mvp he of course very badly will want to win that so you know this is this could be another one of those things uh, where shoe deals individual glory might not be the best thing for the team it'll be interesting to see how much time he ends up missing if any
1: right and even though they're not going to change their seed based on what happens going on a little bit of a lull towards the end of the year could certainly be something that shifts a few voters minds
0: hey maybe if they lose some games with him out then uh voters be like oh well they're totally dependent on him
1: oh you mean they, they go the dirty route and instead of sitting hardened against the bad teams sit hard in against the good teams that would be kind of genius actually <laughs>
0: um A few other notes on this one. Draymond Green actually sprained his left ankle in the second quarter and went out as... as Houston closed it they were down 37 to 20 after the first quarter in which they gave up a 137 offensive rating Uh, they closed within eight at the half green actually returned and was uh he looked just fine I mean he wasn't as spry offensively uh but he had a very nice game overall 19 points 9 of 15 from the field he was one out of six on threes so uh that made him eight of nine on twos and uh He also hit a key jump shot late in the post over, I want to say it was Lou Williams uh, where uh, Lou, he he basically was trying to draw the foul and, and made the shot anyway. Um, and and then Andre Iguodala also I thought was outstanding defensively when he was guarding Eric Gordon it made life very difficult for Gordon he was just denying him especially when uh, Iguodala was in at the start of the second and fourth quarters they were trying to run through Gordon with Harden out of the game and uh, Iguodala really shut him down Houston tried to run their Spain pick and roll series a couple of times which is basically a pick and roll with then a shooter standing at the free throw line to screen the screeners man so that there's no help and either Harden can get downhill or or it might be beverly at times too if hardens out of the game and then that shooter will pop out back to the three-point line very difficult to guard they ran it only one time that i saw and golden state completely blew it up they had nothing going on there at all um and then harden for his part 24 points but 13 of 13 from the line one of nine on threes five of 20 overall from the field although he did manage 13 assists
1: yeah, he got a triple double actually because he also had 11 rebounds. And another story from this game that didn't end up affecting the final outcome is Stephen Curry was in foul trouble basically the entire second half, and I'm sure yeah, there was some and all have... because
0: all legitimate fouls, by the way. Yeah, I mean he absolutely. shakes his head after every one. Like for and there was one example where you know I think they were within like seven points under two minutes to go. He got iso'd on Harden in transition. And he's got five fouls. He reached in
1: that's exactly like, where i was like, gonna go is
0: like what what a moronic with like he just he just has no discipline on this crap like all right he's he's good at getting steals he provides some defensive value that way but he just cannot help himself when he's in foul trouble it's ridiculous yeah
1: you and i have known each other for years and i have routinely criticized clay thompson for not knowing how to play with fouls because he would get he would get into those circumstances where he'd get like a second he'd get a second foul in the first five minutes of a playoff game i think that was in in 13 or 14 where he did that a couple of times and curry is this game was just as egregious as soon as he got his like as he got on the floor after missing his time with his fourth foul, boom, he's reaching around. He didn't get called for a little while for the fifth foul, but you have to know that when you are an offensive player and when you are a central part of your team's success, just just lay off a little bit. And that was what was interesting about this game in terms of Harden's call seeking is that a lot of those fouls were generated against players that have not spent as much time against him. Matt Barnes and Sean Livingston and then a little bit with Steph, but Steph doesn't guard him guard him a whole yeah, lot. Matt Barnes
0: and- had two terrible three-shot fouls. Where he just, where he was reaching in on a, yeah, there was,
1: there was one where, like, yeah, he only reached in for a second, but Harden knows exactly what to do with that. He's super quick about it. He expected that reach and just nailed it. And it was, you know, it was the right call based on how they make the, how they adjudicate that rule right now.
0: I wonder if it'd be possible, and it probably isn't because someone would have thought of this. If anybody could think of it it's Andre, would be to almost, like, put your hand in just for the express purpose of taking it away when he tries to shoot. Just to, like, bait him into trying to bait you, but then you're you're thinking about taking your hand away before, I mean, it might just be too much to process all at once. He uh, also might call but- it anyway that yeah no that, that, they actually do a pretty good job of only calling it when there actually is contact I, I'll, I'll give them credit for, for that um i mean those plays are annoying but it's rare that it'll happen when there just isn't contact it, at all i mean the only time that they'll get you is the when he kind of will be driving the basket and will like lock his arm into the other person's arm and then try to go up um oh i realized but, one other but, thing
1: that it's un- it's ancillary to some of the ref stuff we talked about, but I feel is that the whole idea of a player like using using their shot to get contact with somebody else, like when they, the Kevin Love jumping sideways thing, that is a fix yeah. that can be separate of the other thing, and that's easily correct. A
0: few other quick notes here before we move on to Detroit and Miami. At one point, Houston had taken 33 of their 35 shots either at the rim or from three, and at that point, they were just completely inefficient. Nine of 18 at the rim and two of 15 at uh, on threes the Warriors definitely caused them a lot of problems Capella was really the only Rocket who finished well that's why he's very valuable offensively against Golden State and he's been pretty effective Pachulia if these two teams play in a playoff series we might see Pachulia just not be starting by the end of the series because he just is such a bad matchup for that Harden and uh, Capella pick and roll um I thought that Ariza has shown some more ability off the bounce lately to actually get in and finish. Not something that has been a part of his game these last couple of years, but he's uh definitely a volatile three-point shooter though he shot uh one out of six tonight that that was a big problem most of the, he, he had to force some hard ones though late in the clock uh James Michael McAdoo actually gave the Warriors some brief run for about four minutes and then he got his head cracked on the floor by Ariza and had to go out but he had a couple of blocks some nice pick and roll defense uh you know he he's effective against Houston for that reason because of his mobility and uh one thing I'm going to be watching very closely as Houston gets into the playoffs they have all this depth now but that leaves some decisions for Mike D'Antoni is it going to be Nene or is it going to be you know more of a defensive player or is it going to be Capella more of an offensive player is it going to be Eric Gordon a great deep spot shooter or is it going to be Lou Williams They, I think Gordon is a superior player they might go to Lou Williams though but I think Lou Williams is someone that really he got completely lit up in the first half I mean if he ever gets on to town, Thompson all you have to do is just throw Thompson the ball and he'll just shoot right over Lou Williams like it's uh, or anybody who gets in the post against him if he's under the basket it's just even Curry will just go right in and shoot a layup over him and he just provides no resistance and help defense whatsoever so D'Antoni has a lot of options but it's going to be interesting and then you know when Ryan Anderson is healthy are they going to go with him at the four are they going to go with Anderson at the five at times try to switch everything will they put a reason at the four so a lot of different options for D'Antoni and then there's also Houston late game offense as well which looked a little bit better today but uh, you know wasn't great and hasn't been great all year because it kind of bogs down and they just go to small small pick and rolls and it's Harden iso time
1: it would have been better in this game if Harden was making more of those lefty laps that he was just a little bit reluctant and struggled yeah, on they,
0: they actually got better shots down the stretch than right. they normally do uh, especially against good defense
1: and to me, I, I I wanted to run this by you. I talked about this earlier, not on this podcast, but the idea that to be part of this game felt a little bit like last year's Warriors team in that whenever it got close, just something weird would happen, or not necessarily weird, but like a guy would make a shot or something else and, and it would never get so close that it was really in peril. Like Matt Barnes hit a corner three, that Draymond rip through make, those sorts of plays, and that was something I remembered as being kind of a, a characteristic of last year's team.
0: Yeah, and you know, when the Warriors really struggled in those first few Games without Durant, a lot of it was the schedule, both how difficult it was and how tiring it was in terms of the travel. But I mean, now really in this eight-game win streak, they've played basically at the same level that they did last year when Harrison Barnes was out, and they probably actually have better bench units now this year than they did last year, which it helps to make up for the fact that maybe uh, Curry is not at the same level that he was offensively. But I mean, they still have the best offensive rating in the league since KD went out, <laughs> so uh you know and i think that that's while curry hasn't dominated himself uh it still has been very effective for these guys and you know we i asked you this question uh, when i went on locked on warriors but we never really talked about it here is whether you know if KD weren't able to come back and that's more news too is there's supposed to be a, an update on his status and he's been moving around very nicely of late Um, uh, you know i think the way the golden state is playing lately you probably would have to make them the title favorites even if kd weren't able to come back uh at, at a, a very high level
1: i think that it's it's a close call i still would lean spurs i think that their their talent is at a high level and i think that pop's willingness to go more to quiet the four in the last couple weeks is giving me more comfort that he won't do what happened against oklahoma city last yeah. year i don't think kinda... san
0: antonio can score on them that's what i think that uh, but you know we'll, we'll hopefully get a good test of that tonight we, we or had, tomorrow night we uh,
1: th- it's one of those great unresolved questions because we had that conversation so many times Last year, and then we never got to see it.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. We'll get to Detroit and Miami. A great Hassan Whiteside buzzer beating Tippin. But first, this from Hubble Contacts. Hubble actually was featured recently in a BuzzFeed article that listed seven products that you have to try that are going to revolutionize your life. And the reason that Hubble is so good is you can get a fresh pair of contract lenses. Contract? I guess I've been thinking basketball too much. Contact lenses for every single day for $30 a month, so $1 a day. That's basically half the price of other brands. Uh, My girlfriend has tried them. She says that they are very comfortable. Certainly no difference between more expensive traditional brands. And the reason why, as with so many of the products that we have on the show, that they can offer so cheaply is it's direct to consumer. You're not getting it through your optometrist. There's no markup from him. And then another company, contact lenses are a commodity. They don't really cost that much to make. It's just because they're being routed through all these traditional sellers that cause a markup. That's why you pay so much. Four companies actually control 97% of the market. But because Hubble sells directly to you, that's how they get you half the price. And, And these contacts in a study at university of houston optometry school they were shown to basically have the same level of comfort as the the main brand so it's not like with this less expensive price you're getting a worse quality contact so go to hubblecontacts.com and you can get your first two weeks of lenses for free i put in all the information for my girlfriend it took me like maybe 45 seconds i just put in her prescription and we her info and got them sent to us just a deal you can't beat with 2 weeks of free contacts you've nothing to lose just give it a shot see if they're more comfortable see if they're as good as the brand that you've been using get 2020 vision for half the price at hubblecontacts.com that's h u b b l e contacts.com so we saw the game that may have ended the Denver Nuggets season. This was likely the game that ended Detroit's season. They already were looking very ugly in terms of how they'd been playing. Reggie Jackson was rested last game. He was rested again tonight. Stan Van Gundy revealed that he'd been playing for 80, at 80% all season when he had been able to play after missing that first month of the season with knee tendinitis. There's talk that he could be shut down for the rest of the year and now after this buzzer loss to Miami the team that uh, perhaps they had the most realistic chance to catch they're going to be pretty much out of it now Uh, should probably frankly move into tank mode at this point because They now have, per 538, a 1% chance of making the playoffs, projected to be three games behind the Heat and Bulls. And in fact, the Hornets are listed at having a higher percent chance of making the playoffs at 2% than the Pistons do.
1: One of the big kind of takeaways from this night is that it might be when the Western playoff race went from being nine teams for eight spots to being eight teams for eight spots and that the East went from 10 for eight to nine for eight
0: yeah we're basically the hawks eked out a win tonight <sighs> against phoenix who decided that they were playing too well having uh, lost eight straight coming in and rested devin booker <laughs> <laughs> against the hawks and the hawks still barely were well able did to, you hear the other thing
1: that they didn't fa- they didn't intentionally foul down four with like 10 seconds to go which is just great considering that was like the cat like the the kicker of the game against boston
0: yeah well i mean no, no player w- was going for milestone points like yeah. that that's when you foul. you don't foul when you have a chance to win the game
1: herman edwards would just be so angry play to win the game <laughs>
0: So, uh, and giving you some updated odds here on this East playoff chase, the, those five teams Bucks, Hawks, Pacers, Heat, and Bulls. Bucks now given a 97% chance of making it. They are projected for the fifth seed at a lofty 42 and 40. Uh, the Heat, 73% chance that they're projected for the eighth seed. Bulls, projected for the ninth seed at 64 percent but the Pacers having after having lost tonight they're at 75 percent so really and, and the Hawks still 88 percent despite the fact that they uh, only have a one game lead I think the system must think their schedule is pretty easy going down the stretch but that system doesn't know that they don't have Paul Millsap and so uh with that being the case I mean I really think how would you rate it between I mean if we're gonna say the Bucks are almost certainly gonna get in now between Hawks Pacers Heat and Bulls who do you think is the most likely to not make it out of those teams given some of the injury realities and uh, some of the schedule realities that, that we're aware of here
1: I, I think it's the Bulls but they have a really soft schedule at the very end of yeah, the year their, their last, last five, five games, games. Crazy, but they've, str- like, but they've so struggled against bad teams this year so like, I, yeah. I, tweeted, I tweeted that out a couple like a week ago about how there was a reason I had this like pit in my stomach because I don't want the Bulls to make the playoffs for my own enjoyment because I just I don't enjoy watching the Bulls and they have that and then all these Bulls fans are like yeah but they beat good teams and lose to bad teams so who knows who knows that's gonna work out i think the hawks are gonna pull it together and and maybe they even get the eight but i think i think the bulls are gonna be the team out
0: i would say that the pacers and heat are the two i think are most likely to be in after the bucks and it's gonna come down to hawks and bulls just because i mean the hawks are playing so terribly without milsap and there really is not you know if i had to guess he's i think he's gonna miss another three games still um and this was when we went through their schedule the other day this game against Phoenix was really if Millsap can't be back it's probably the only one they would be favored in um but let's get to this game and how Miami did manage to put a stake into Detroit's heart I mean Detroit obviously had been playing very poorly got blown up by the Knicks uh but they they waged a steered comeback in this one after trailing by 10 midway through the third they really started defending the heat well it kept them out of transition and forced some turnovers in the fourth quarter which was uh, what enabled them to get back into it uh ish smith was solid through the first three with 16 points he he also hit a jump shot late to put the pistons up for 96 92 after kcp hit a huge three when the pistons were down one with 45 seconds left uh, the Pistons then forced a turnover, uh, denying the ball in bounds. Rodney Magruder uh, lost it off his leg due to good pressure. And then Smith got a switch with James Johnson on him and then just ISOed for a mid-range jumper. But the Pistons did pay the price that they only really ran down 15 seconds uh, with that two-point lead. And then there was a very controversial play after that. Did you happen to see this one at all? The Stanley I have Johnson not, but I heard the reaction
1: play? to it from Mr. Van Gundy.
0: <laughs> what did he have to say? He said... Well, here, he I, said I'll that, tell you what happened first, and, you know, sure, and, and then yeah. you can say that. That probably makes more sense. Uh, so... He basically got called for the Mano Ginobili violation, uh, which led to a, a technical foul for stepping over the line while attempting to deny, deny the ball in bounds, and, and it was pretty clear. I mean, he was certainly crossing the plane of the out-of-bounds line, jumping up with both feet, sticking, kicking his legs out over the line. Uh, it looked like he landed over the line with both feet as well. Uh, but uh, what did uh, Van Gundy have to, to say about that? afterwards
1: i believe the quote was something like i hope people are saving the footage from that because that that never gets called ever and i like that i think it was you who pointed out that you i mean you obviously did earlier on the podcast but that's true that it doesn't get called but it was famously no called in a very very big moment very very recently
0: yeah and that game two uh last year where the spurs actually got a turnover Deion Waiters pushed Ginobili away, and everyone went ape shit. But part of the reason he had to push him away is because Ginobili was clearly over the line, and it wasn't called, and that was noted in the last two minutes report as an error. And so I think referees are more cognizant of that at this point. Now, you know, if you're the referee handing the ball in bounds and the guy's way up there, you might just say, "Hey, back up," you know. But, but you know, maybe there's not time for that, and, and they were getting pretty close to a five-second violation at that time, and they had actually just forced a turnover on the inbound. So Johnson was uh, certainly very uh, enthusiastic. And you'll note that while Van Gundy did say, oh, we should take film of that, he didn't really argue that it was an incorrect call. It was the right call. And and so Dragic uh, then was able to get in the lane for a a short floater. And at that point, Miami did a great job as well, denying the ball in bounds. Uh, They got called for a dubious kick ball on that play. And then after that, they were able to do a run and jump press, tie up Stanley Johnson- right in the front court against the sideline uh after kcp put him in a difficult position they denied the ball inbounds to ish smith and then uh james johnson got the tip over stanley johnson and miami got it back and uh at that point they had one last chance to come down and win it they inbounded deep in the backcourt to james johnson and he came down tried to shoot it a about 14 foot fade away off the dribble that failed but then Hassan Whiteside just beat Andre Drummond twice to the offensive rebound got a tip Tyler Johnson ripped it away again after that tip he got a shot up on the rim and then Whiteside at the absolute last possible tenth of a second got the tip in over Drummond to win it by one for Miami.
1: Absolutely massive win for them after the kind of the disappointment of losing the games to Boston and Toronto, while, of course, those are good teams just to kind of lose a little bit of their momentum. And Miami has... They have back-to-back games against the Knicks, so presumably they can do they can do fine in those. And certainly not the defensive struggles that, the you know, at least, well, it could be defensive, but like those games used to be in the 90s. But they have a, a fascinating dynamic at the end of the year because they have Toronto, the Wizards twice, and the Cavs, and we still have no idea where those teams are going to be and whether their situations will be settled because those games could be hard or some of those could be opened up by what happens between now and then
0: yeah i mean i just believe in my even without dion waiters who still doesn't have a timetable and they've they've missed waiters offensively i think uh but that said the heat broadcast noted this which i thought is absolutely incredible considering the talent that we would have thought this team had coming in and what their strengths and weaknesses would be the miami heat set a franchise record in this game for most made three-pointers in a season can you believe that wow when you consider that those 20 13 and 14 teams were like some of the best three-point shooting teams that we'd ever seen at that point in time. That's completely insane. Uh, I also was very impressed by someone that we probably have just generally not talked enough about on this program, which is Rodney Magruder, yeah. a 25-year-old rookie, played for Sioux Falls, bounced around the summer league, just a, another wing out of that factory, which is produced Tyler Johnson. Willie Reed has also kind of been in that that program a little bit. Uh, Briante Weber, although he's now with the Hornets. Uh, Magruder, yeah, he's older, but he shoots his three without hesitation. He's shooting about 35%, getting a good volume up. Played 33 minutes tonight. He's averaging, I think, 25 minutes a game. He is 12 points, 5 of 8. He had a key shot where he drove a closeout and shot a beautiful left-handed hook over Contavious Caldwell Pope late in the game. I mean, just uh, uh, he actually as Worked a little bit in pick and roll uh, on the backside of plays. Uh, Had a couple of nice setups for uh, Goran Dragic as he would drive in from the wing on a pick and roll and throw it back out top. And of course, he's a very solid defender. Really just a a great find for Miami. And of course, he's under contract for, you know, I think two more years at the minimum after this one. So, I mean, when you can just create guys like that basically out of nowhere. I mean, uh, I'd never heard of Rodney Magruder until this last summer league. Uh, Pretty incredible work uh, for Miami
1: he's a guy that i often think is taller than his listed height i think it's just because of the way that he plays he's listed at six five and he can capably guard threes for periods of time i mean i yeah. don't think it's yeah, necessarily i mean he's played
0: the three he's played yeah. the three all year for them
1: yeah, I, I think if I think he, just based on his skill set, intuitively he'd be better defending twos, just when I watch him. But he can do it and when you can defend threes. And we've talked about the just scarcity of quality wings in the league, and for Miami to consistently create these players and then have them on team friendly contracts is remarkable. I mean, so they still have Josh Richardson on a, a cheap contract and he's more of a guard than a like a, a true like three or anything like that. But a two is a two is great as well. And Magruder is probably gonna be another one in that line and while I I don't think they expect him to play this many minutes moving forward the idea that he can is such a, a godsend for them when other teams are just killing themselves trying to find players that can play even a few minutes
0: for the pistons they still have been starting john lure tobias harris always plays more than him he always plays better than him yeah the starting lineup with morris and harris didn't really work that well if i were stan van Gundy, i might even switch up and go with stanley johnson and tobias harris and see how that works defensively especially now that they're probably going to be out of it see if stanley johnson can perform well he's still an offensive liability but he closed this game because he plays pretty well defensively marcus morris didn't have it going john lewer i think got the keith bogans in both halves are pretty close to it. i think he went out after like four minutes in, in the third quarter as they uh it would have been a tight game went out to a miami lead and so i think now this is going to become more about you know especially with jackson out see what stanley johnson can do see if he can be the starter i think if they could have marcus morris born a reserve role that might help or or maybe it's harris and stanley stanley johnson and morris play together but I, I like the combo of harris who had uh 19 points on 7 of 14 from the field in this one really the only piston who shot well other than Ish smith um you know, that's the big thing to me is, and we'll see who the Pistons end up drafting. You know, they'll be in the late lottery. It looks like here, uh, they'll probably be ahead of some of these West teams uh, who were theoretically vying for the eighth seed, uh, unless they really start losing. But uh Johnson played 33 minutes tonight. I think he should start be getting close to 30 minutes, and and you know what you have in lure and Marcus Morris, so maybe minimize them a little bit the rest of the year.
1: Since I know you enjoy this. Did you get a chance to see James Johnson's dunk on Marcus Morris?
0: Yeah, when he just basically like knocked him backwards. That's like the second dunk he's had this year. He, he got Steph Curry like that too. That was that was nice.
1: I enjoy James Johnson quite a bit. I don't know where he's going to be next year, but I, if if he can carry this forward, it'll be just just fu- so much fun. Because when he's engaged and he's active and he's in better shape, he can be a real difference maker.
0: Yeah, this was a ninety-seven ninety-six final slower game though not like as much of a defensive struggle as that score would indicate uh the heat did a nice job Dragic was fantastic again 28 points 9 of 16 from the field 9 of 13 from the line uh did a great job getting to the basket and finishing against a pistons team that doesn't have a lot protecting the basket uh so they actually pistons had to go to trapping Dragic with andre drummond which it was actually better at that than you'd think but the Heat were able to do a nice job on those plays, bringing the wing up, getting the ball to him, and then either finding someone like Whiteside on the roll or, or skipping the ball to the other side for, for an open three. But it was interesting to see. I mean, Stan Van Gundy generally has not gone in that direction defensively, to my recollection. And they had to go there because Dragic was just killing them in the pick and roll.
1: That's all I have on this game. Do you have anything else?
0: No, I think that, that'll that be it. And uh, we'll probably just say goodbye to the Pistons for this one, unless it's uh, at the very end they're involved in some game with a playoff team for playoff positioning uh, you know, other than you know, our 15 and 60s and season previews. And, and I, I got to say, I'm uh, not too sad to, to kind of be done with the Pistons for this year. It's been a disappointing year for them. They don't really have anyone on their team that you'd look at as tremendously entertaining. Even someone like Caldwell Pope, who had hit 25 points tonight, uh, but wasn't particularly efficient. I mean, he's a good defensive player. He can make a spot three. He's improving off the dribble. But you know, when he's your most exciting player, you're probably not that exciting of a team. <laughs> at some
1: point over the next few months, we'll have to have a, a a more detailed discussion about Andre Drummond because I feel like that's you know that's an analysis that I really want to do, but it might have to be in the summer
0: yeah i think the most disturbing thing about him is that his free throw rate has gone down so much this year uh and part of that is because they're not doing the hack on him as much anymore but part of it is just that he really is not that aggressive anymore if he does post up it's like you know a hook shot he's not powering in and and really trying to do a power move i think just because of the those foul issues um all right, I think we are done here. You want to talk about your book briefly, or do you want to wait until you're not, like, sleep-deprived?
1: Well, I can talk very shortly. You can't really promo something that's not going to be out for six months, but I have been writing a book for Triumph uh, Publishing on the warriors and their history, so it runs, it's it's 100 self-contained chapters and covers primarily, it focuses on the time since they moved to the Bay Area, which is 1962 to present day, and kind of balancing all that, it's been so much fun to... To research it, watching a lot of old video, I was watching the '67, some footage from the '67 NBA Finals over the weekend, which was just just fun. And actually, I watched because I couldn't help myself. I actually watched the the conference finals when the the Sixers, because it was the uh, Sixers produced video when they played the Celtics. That was an amazing series. Yeah, when, the the when famous
0: uh, "Boston is Dead" banner. Uh, as I think they beat them three to one in or, or four to one in, in that. Uh, uh, and that was after Boston had won eight championships in a row too. And then Boston the next year actually was down three to one to that same Sixers team, which which went 68 and 13 and then came back and beat them. And then Wilt got traded right after that to the Lakers. I mean, it was pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, those last two titles that Bo- and then Boston beat the Lakers and Wilt the, the year after that too is uh, incredible those last two Boston years, which is, sorry for hijacking that, no no I, no I was uh, I was reminded of it since you yeah, mentioned
1: it. and For those who are less familiar with the less glamorous parts of the Warriors franchise history, there's a lot of amazing stuff there, both in terms of entertaining teams, but also teams that were really short-lived. I mean, Run TMC was only two years, 93, 94, when they had Weber and Latrell Sprewell, that was only one, we believe was, you know, kind of a year and a half is probably the the best number you could put on that. And so going through the positives, the negatives, and everything in between, and trying to convey You know what makes those players relevant and what makes it fit in i mean had a lot of fun getting quote like getting quotes through and reading all sorts of great work that people have done on don nelson and numerous other figures so It's been a blast. It's not done. Like, that's the crazy thing about submitting a first manuscript is like, this is, it's not the end point. It's just an important marker on the process, but it's certainly a load off. And I mean, it's been, I I don't even know exactly why I kind of kept it a secret, but it has been, it's been fun to kind of reach this point and then be like, oh yeah, this is coming out in, in six months. And it's been this project that has been a time sink that fortunately, you know, we've been able to work around it and still produce this show with the frequency that we do.
0: Yeah, and I've enjoyed getting little nuggets from you every other day you're like wow can you believe that like that this happened like check the check out this article you know th- this trade that that almost happened like you know look at this footage like I, I really enjoyed that and enjoyed watching you kind of really be able to get into uh nba history a little bit more so thanks so much for listening today don't forget tomorrow it'll probably be today for you as you listen to this 9 30 eastern time spurs warriors twitter nba show second screen 6 30 pacific and then uh, we got two more episodes of Dunked On as well for the rest of the week. We'll, we'll talk about that game and some other games tomorrow as well. Nice slate uh, to discuss on the program tomorrow. Don't forget about our sponsors Hubble Contacts. Hubblecontacts.com is your way to get two weeks of free contacts. And then it's only a dollar a day in perpetuity after that. I'll well, probably not in perpetuity, but uh, because that would be a really, really long time, but uh, that's what their current pricing is. And then Texture texture.com slash capspace. you get a 14 day free trial over 200 magazines and very likely any magazine that you're going to want to read is on there it's a, a cool product check it out texture.com slash cap space touch to y'all next time Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil